Now, I want you to know what we're doing in this series is we're tackling some issues that might make us feel uncomfortable, and that is okay, okay? Because that's what Jesus was really all about. He was helping us to get out of our comfort zones, to get us to be people of faith, hope, and love. And you're going to be hearing more about those three words in the first of January. But when Jesus entered into this world, the angels announced this out of Luke chapter 2. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Now I want you to circle the word men. When Jesus entered into this world, the angels announced, because Jesus couldn't say anything. He was just a baby at that time, right? The angels announced that he was about people. And to be honest with you, that took others in that time by surprise because they expected him to be this lofty teacher who would teach philosophical truths. They expected him to be a preacher of fire and brimstone to correct all the heresy that was going on. They were expecting this Messiah to be a political person who would ride in on a horse waving a sword and rout Rome out of their country. But Jesus surprised them all. Because honestly, he wasn't about those causes. He was about people. Now don't misunderstand me. Jesus was a lofty teacher. Folks, there is no better sermon than the Sermon on the Mount. Even the greatest preachers would admit to that. Jesus was a fire and brimstone preacher, okay? I mean, he went into the temple or the church of his day, so to speak, and he turned tables over, and no doubt he upset the politically status quo. But when he came into the world, he came for people like you and I, where our world's We're in chaos, and what we were really looking and longing for was peace. This can be no clearer to us than what Jesus did in Luke chapter 4, where he comes and is ready. Now he's an adult, and now he's ready to speak for himself what his ministry is all about. He comes to his hometown, Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue, which is kind of like the the, the square of the city. And as he goes there, he says these words out of Isaiah 61. It just happened to be that that day, that little synagogue, that church, if you want to think of it that way, was teaching out of the book of Isaiah. He didn't get to choose the book, but he did get to choose the chapter. I know oftentimes people, George, can you just preach on the spot? No. Jesus could, though. He wrote the Bible, okay? (laughs) I didn't. I have to think and pray and make sure that what I'm saying is hopefully as accurate as, as possible. And so he comes into this place, and this is what he says. Let me just read to you in, in, in context. Luke 4, 16 through 21. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed him. He didn't get to choose. This is what they were going through at that time. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. Here's what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone were fixed on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You see, Jesus made it very clear when he finally could, so to speak, speak for himself that he was about people, people who were lacking peace, people who were poor, people who were oppressed, people who were blind, those that you and I wouldn't even, so to speak, give the time of day for. The Prince of Peace was going to invest his time in people who knew no peace. And when he left planet Earth, he gave that charge to you and I, the church. We are to continue the ministry of peace in our world. And there has never been a time in human history that we need this message, that we need this ministry. Wouldn't you agree with that? I just, I don't know about you. People ask me, George, how do you prepare for missions? I always look at what's happening. I take the opposite of it, basically. There's conflict and chaos. What are we looking for? Peace and tranquility. I just did a search just in the last two years of the things that have happened in our world that have hit our radar in the way of the news. Remember the newspaper in France where they came in and killed a number of people? Nabot. And then there was the church, remember the church in Charlottesville, North, I think it was North Carolina, where a racist came in and killed people doing a Bible study? And then it wasn't too long after that that, that it, back in France, Paris, France, there was this big rock concert and they captured hostages and they killed about 89 of them. Remember that one that hit the news? And then there was, do you remember the Orlando thing? It's easy to forget these things because they, they just kind of happen. That gay nightclub. And then not too long ago, just in fact a few weeks ago, in New York and in New Jersey, there was the pipe bomb situation. And then in Columbus, Ohio, just a few weeks ago, I, uh, of that, the, the person who was in a car and just kind of was running over people on, on, on Ohio State campus. I woke up this morning and I saw what was on news because I get news flashes. And it's happening in Turkey. Hundreds of people dead. Folks, this is the world we live in. It is not a fun place in one sense to be at. The people who are committing these crimes, to be honest with you, are enemies of sensible humanity. And yet this is the world we live in. What are you and I to do as Christians? We're the church. God truly has called us, has he not, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. What does that look like? As I was prepping for this message, I, I use my small group at times to kind of say, hey, I'm kind of thinking about this topic matter. What do you think I should do? So I gave this one guy, Chad, my whole message. He says, you know, I'm a little rusty, but this is kind of my thought. And will you just kind of review me? He came back and says, George, here's what I would suggest. You just make it as practical as possible because all of us live in a world of chaos and we as Christians don't know exactly what to do. 
You see, what do you and I do in that moment of chaos, in that moment when there is no peace, when people are suffering, when people are being persecuted? How should we respond? As we think of this thing globally, can we really solve that problem? Do we really, I mean, have the power and, and the possessions, whatever, to pick up the red phone and call whoever to bring in an army to, to squell that unrest or to call in humanitarian aid? Folks, we don't have that. We're just individuals. We're the church. And yet, as I've thought about this, I think, you know what? Nor should we have that responsibility. Because we don't have the resources. We don't have the power and the position. But we should do something. You see, what should our response be when we are in our world, here, Collin County, and people don't have peace? I know as I think of this thing globally, I, I often think of the first church, the early church. Do you realize that the early church overturned the Roman Empire, or at least had an impact on the Roman Empire, just within one generation? Unbelievable. Think about that. It, it, here's Rome, massive. And yet in one generation, Christianity had infiltrated it in such a way that it was beginning to change the whole culture and the landscape there. There's this guy, Emperor Julian, in 360 AD who absolutely hated Christians, but he wrote this. The godless Galileans, that's what they were referred to as. Christians were referred to as godless Galileans. The godless Galileans, they feed our poor and their own. You see, most people back then disagreed with what they believed, but they could not argue with what their beliefs produced in the way of their behavior. You see, their beliefs caused them to practice what they preached. And today there is a lot of preaching, but there isn't a whole lot of practicing going on. There's the, the, the noise is loud. I should say our noise isn't as loud. Our noise is, is louder than our love. So what do we do? As Christians that live in a world filled full of conflict and chaos, Four things, five things. The first one is simply this. Will you write this down? Care for the church and care for people. Or care for the church and care for the world. We are to do both. Take a look at Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. In essence, what Paul is saying there is, guess what? It's okay for the church to take care of the church. It's okay for the church to be the hands and feet for the church. The Bible says that if one member of the body suffers, then guess what? We all suffer. So it's okay for the church to take care of the church. And we do. We do throughout the year. But especially during the holiday season. But it's not okay for it to stop there. And Jesus explains this in a story that we're familiar with. Out of Luke chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan. You remember that story? In that story, in essence, he's saying, you know what? We are called to love everybody because all lives matter. We are, but we are especially called to love those who may be different from us, who may be different physically. At least in this story, this guy who was wanting and needing help got beaten up by some bandits. And you know the story. The, the priest came by and just walked on the other side. The Levite, who's the temple helper, walked on by. But then there was this half-breed. 
Samaritan, half half Jew, half Gentile, the lowest of the low in that culture. <clears throat> and he stops and he helps this bandit, someone who was different, at least physically, than him. And Jesus shares this story and he poses this question. Let's pick this up in Luke 10. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was, who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Will you circle the word show? And will you write this down? There is a difference between caring about something versus caring for someone. Andy Stanley, one of my favorite heroes, uh, preacher-wise, I mean, he says, what you can't do for all, do for one. And I says, I thought about this. How could I restate that? It's okay to care for some things, and we should. But it's more important to care for someone. We care about the issues of our day, don't we, that, that bring stress and turmoil into our life, that create fear within us, and that is well and good. We should. We live in a world where non-state actors are perpetrating fear and pain and murder and every kind of evil in our world, and we feel insecure as a result. That's okay. And we care for those who are undergoing that, whether that is in Paris, whether that is in Mosul, whether that is in Miami, wherever. But there is a difference about caring for something versus caring for someone. And God has called us through his very example to be those, the church, who cares for people, to show love, to show love to people in a world that is filled with chaos. That's our responsibility. And you know what? That ought to make us uncomfortable in some ways. And how? I think God gives us an answer out of Hebrews 13.3. Look at this verse. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. You see, what if it was your kids? What if it was your head rolling on the sand? What if it was your business that was invaded? What if it was you on that train? What if you were on the train going down to downtown Dallas to work? God says, I want you to empathize. Folks, he wants us to feel it. He wants us to, to speak up, but not just speak up. He wants us to do something about it. There is a difference about, between caring about something versus caring for someone. I don't know if I'm extra sensitive to this, but maybe as a pastor, I got called out. Not called out. We went out with a family whose kid is, is critically mentally. I mean, he's a young, young child. And they don't know what's going on, but something isn't ticking right. And Cheryl and I walked out of that restaurant after spending an hour or so with this, this, these parents. And we said, you know what? Our hearts should be moved for this family. Let's make a commitment to pray for them every morning when we get up to pray. That's what God wants us to do. What if that was my kid? Take a look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. 
be honest, I'm proud of this church. As I've had time to reflect, let me just share with you 17 ministries that happened in this and through this church by its people, okay? I like to say, you know, we, we, we have this char- small church feel where we just know each other, but we got these big church ministries that are happening that most of us are clueless about. Let me just, let me just read these. Become Network, and I don't have time to explain them all. Become Network, Refugee City, that does, it deals with refugees right here. City House, Christian Food Pantry, Elect Ministry, Time to Revive, um, uh, Compassion International, Gideon's International, Jesus Said Love, Church Ladies, Restored Hope, Marty Martin Ministries, that deals with sex uh, offenders, Soul Church, Changing the Face of Christianity. Then we have our signature ministries that we as LifePoint Church really get behind. Uh, Razor, Meadows, Outrun Homelessness, Adopt a Family. Those are just to name a few. You see, God says this, we are to care for the church and we are to care for the world. I'm proud of what we do. Secondly, we got to fight for justice beginning on our knees. Right now, as I read, our world leaders are complex with all that's going on in this world. Terrorism, uh, economic issues, uh, governmental issues, countries failing. And, and they, they kind of throw their hands up, okay? Countries like Turkey and Russia and America and Canada and Australia and the Brits. I mean, all these big world companies, I mean, they're just kind of pulling their hair out from their heads. And when you and I see these big issues, it's easy for us to feel overwhelmed. What can I do? I'm just an individual. Where do I start? Well, God says this, that you and I can start by fighting for justice on our knees. Take a look at this verse out of Psalms 55, 16, and 18. As for me, I shall call upon God, the Lord, and the Lord will save me. And notice how often, he's talking about commitment here, evening and morning and noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. He will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me. You see, what you and I are to do when we feel overwhelmed, that we are, we are to get on our knees and we are fight, to fight for justice in that position. Folks, that's what we are to do. In our world, I know, especially during this season, when, when grandpas dress up like Santa Claus, is it can be magical and peaceful. Yes, it should be. I mean, I... I had a blast. My grandkids aren't in here, are they? I had a blast Friday showing up and being Santa Claus to see their eyes, to sense their hopefulness, to enter into that magic. We went over to my a kid's house over in, in McKinney and we did the same thing except we, we had jingle bells there and we shook them outside the window. We weren't inside at that time, but the kids, my kids said, they went, oh, it's Santa Claus. We're not even asleep yet. We don't have any cookies and milk out. 
There are seasons in our life, and especially at Christmas, that we feel peace and a sense of prosperity. But then at a blink of an eye, things can change, can't it? As I was backing out of my kid's house in McKinney, I ran over the gas meter. All that peace just whoosh. But what do you and I do when our world is beginning to go to hell in a handbasket? You see, our responsibility as Christians is to pray. That's our responsibility. And we are to pray specifically. In fact, in Scripture, uh, in Psalms 122, verse 6, it says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I cannot think of a better city that is in the epicenter of conflict than Jerusalem. Can you? I mean, from there, it's all kinds of conflicts going out throughout the whole world. And yet God tells us specifically, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now, I think there is a broader principle there, and that is simply this. Are we praying for the hot spots that happen in our world, like Paris and like Mosul? And, and like Miami, our responsibility is to pray for justice on our knees. And as we pray, what do we pray for? We'll take a look at this verse out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 2. Pray that we, will you circle the word we, may be delivered from the wicked and from evil people. You see, the we contextually there was Paul, Silas, and, and uh, Timothy, okay? But in essence, it they were the innocent. No one questions that there is evil and evil people in our world. But the question is, are we praying for the innocent to be freed? One of the ministries that happens through our people at this church is through sex trafficking. You may not know about that. I get updates regularly. Let me tell you what's going on in our world. And don't think this is void of this. It was just a couple of months ago, that a major sex trafficker was caught in Dallas, tech, in Dallas. A prostitution ring filled full of sex trafficked people just a couple of miles down the street from here. It is everywhere. But listen to this. This is, this is sobering. Girls are sold for $7,800 in China. Children in India are sold for $45 versus $350 for a cow. Children in the United Kingdom Australia, England, things like that, $25,000. Persons in Canada, $4,879. Teenagers in Iraq, $5,000 for virgins, $2,500 for non-virgins. Here's one. Women, I got a list of them. I could go forever. Women from North Korea, by age, $1,066 in their 20s, $761 in their 30s, $457 in their 40s. You see, I know when, when I see injustice in the world, I pray, God, you be a God of justice and get those jerks. But oftentimes I forget to pray for the innocent. God, would you free the innocent who are undergoing these kinds of things? You see, I often wonder what my world would be like. Honestly, I often wonder what my world would be like if I just prayed more. You see, does prayer matter? Folks, it does. In January, I'm going to do a prayer series. 
Because I am convinced that the problems that I'm working through personally, marriage-wise, family-wise, church-wise, community-wise, world-wise, folks, could all be changed through prayer. I wonder how much would change in my life if I just prayed more. My guess is a lot would. You see, the picture, at least worldwide, is this next verse. Take a look at Isaiah 54, verse 14. You will live under a government that is just and fair. Your enemies will stay far away, and you will live in peace. Terror will not come near. What a beautiful picture. Wouldn't you agree? The third thing is this. Speak up for the oppressed. Folks, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to speak up for the oppressed. Now, I don't know about you, but in this last month, as I've been kind of on my blessed assurance, I've been at church a little bit, but my wife, Nurse Hatchet, remember her name. I had to be home at a certain time, resting and all that other stuff, so my favorite channel is the History Channel, and I'm watching all this history. Cheryl is tired of Hitler in our home. That's all I gotta say. But as I'm watching these things, and especially World War II, okay, with Pearl Harbor, I've been watching Pearl Harbor stuff and all that kind of thing, but I thought, how, how is it possible that the Holocaust could, could, could come to pass? How is it possible in 1915 that there could be an Armenian suicide, that there could be a Rwanda su- uh, genocide in, in 1994, a, a Bosnian uh, genocide in 1995? How? how is it possible for those kinds of things to happen? How is it possible that, that one million people in a hundred days in Rwanda could be hatched to death? Hatchet to death. How is that possible? The answer is really simple. It's because evil exists in our world. And people are willing to participate in it to make it happen. And also people are willing to be silent. Take a look at Psalms 31, verse 8. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the right of all who are destitute. Will you circle the word all? That's for those who are Christians and those who are for non-Christians. You see, this morning you may be here and you may be a non-Christian. If you are, hey, you're welcome here. I'm, I'm glad you're here. But God tells me as a Christian, I'm to speak up even for you. God wants us to speak up. And and the point is this, that in a world of 2.3 billion followers of Christ, there shouldn't be a person who lives on planet Earth, who is going through injustice, who feels forgotten. Folks, it's our responsibility to remember. And yes, we can't do it all, and we can't be everywhere. We, we are citizens, I don't know, if, of Plano or Allen or McKinney or Collin County or, or the country of Texas. But don't ever forget, though you may be a citizen of the United States or McKinney or however you want, you are also citizens of heaven. And you and I have access into the throne of God And in his presence, on our knees, we can speak up for injustice. And we can speak out for the innocent. And we can come to God 
with our hands filled with compassion. But the fact is, most Christians come with soft hands and calloused hearts. And it ought to be the opposite, shouldn't it? You see, we are to come with calloused hands and with soft hearts. And the picture, when you and I do that, when we come and we are moved in our being with empathy, is this next verse. Look at uh, Romans 16, 20. Soon the God of peace will crush Satan under our feet. Do you realize what that's saying? When we, when we love someone that the world would want us to ignore, that the world would say, hey, they're different, don't worry about them, it puts a dagger in the heart of Satan. Folks, love is the most powerful tool in the world. And God says, love with calloused hands and soft hearts. And yes, it's not our job. It's the government's job to decide questions of conflict, to decide questions of war and things such as that. It's our job to speak up, to speak up into the very presence of God, to speak up for those who feel unloved and help them to know, that, yes, they are loved, that they are thought of. And as we speak up, what we in essence are doing is that we are putting a dagger in the very injustice that is causing chaos and insecurity in the world. Folks, that's how we do it as individuals. The fourth one is this. Will you write this down? Give generously in, in, to those in need and always have hope. And I want you to circle the word hope. Because God has called you and I to be people who love, who hope, and be people of faith. Those are the three greatest things. But take a look at this verse in Acts eleven twenty nine. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. The, the, the context here is that the first church in Jerusalem was undergoing a famine, and the church in Antioch helped. They came and gave according to their ability. I remember, I think it was a couple of years ago, there was a small group who had a cousin in, I think it was in Greece, that area right there. You remember when the exodus of the Syrian thing and they were just flooding into Europe? They got an email requesting help. And I was shocked by the help that they were asking for. Here they were coming in and they were, they, all these refugees, these Syrians, were, were in this part of the country and the church was taking them in. And the church wasn't asking for clothing and for food. No, the, the, the people were there and they were just taking them in. But what the church asked for, I thought this was so interesting, is that they were asking for Bibles because they wanted to give them the gospel in a language that they understood. I thought, wow. And that small group raised $750, got it to an organization, bought the Bibles and got those Bibles to those churches. The point, though, is this. That small group did what they could according to their ability. You see, do you realize that if all you can give is one cent, and you give that one cent in God's economy of things, that is equal to the person who is sacrificially giving one million dollars. That's why I say when we come to our concert, 
Come, bring your friends. Ten bucks, every dime of that. We're going to do what we can to help the homeless in Collin County. And we're going to do it through the police. Been working with the police department on this. And we're going to reward them as well. Because they are the first line of protection and service in our community that run into homeless people in Collin County. But you do what you can. You see, we are to give in a way that we hope someone would give to us. We are to pray in a way that we hope that someone would pray for us. We are to act in such a way that we hope someone would act to us. We are to love others in a way that we hope that they would love us. Folks, I'm not gonna stop. I'm gonna continue going on these until I get an amen, okay? God wants us to act, love, give, pray in such a way that we know that other people are doing the same for us if we were in that situation. Because God has called us to be people of faith and hope and love. We hope that the little that we give, that God, the little that we pray, the little that we share, the little ways that we act will somehow, some way, make a huge impact in God's economy of things. I was walking the mall the other day, and there were reserved soldiers with boots. You seen these things? Just collecting funds for our soldiers that are overseas. People walking by. Typical look. They see the person. I was that way. I used to be that way with the homeless. I can remember a number of years ago before God started gripping our hearts as a church family. You know what? We're going to address this issue. I drive up to the intersection. You know where they are. They're standing right there. I go, not anymore. Roll down the window. Give them some food that I have, generally have something in the car, maybe a couple of bucks, and I ask them their name. What's your name? Bob, George. I like that name. You do what you can, and you give what you can with hope that God will take the little tiny checkers that you have, and he turns it into a chess game. The fifth one is this. Show hospitality to the strangers, to strangers. Take a look at Exodus 22. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I was talking to a guy in our church just the other day, a guy named Bob. Belletier. Hi, Bob. And the topic came up. How he was, I think, a second-generation Italian. I looked at Bob and says, man, your English is really good. But I was talking with him about this topic matter. And he made reference to the fact, you know what? We all at one point in time have been a stranger in a foreign land. And isn't that true? Can you remember the first time you came into LifePoint Church? Were they going to ask me to do anything, say anything, stand up and identify myself? What? You were a stranger in a foreign land. For you moms, can you remember the first day you sent your kids off to school and they felt like they were a stranger in a foreign land? To be honest with you, 
All of us are strangers in a foreign land, aren't we? Unless you were born a Native American, we're all, we're all immigrants. And God goes along and he builds upon that. In Leviticus 22, look at this. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner resides among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. In essence, God is saying, Israel, remember that you really like everybody else. You were a foreigner or you were a stranger in a foreign land. And so you remember that. You treat others that are strangers in a foreign land, whether that's in church, whether that's in Collin County, whether that's in the United States. You welcome them. You help them to feel comfortable. And if you disagree with what I'm saying, you remember this. I'm the Lord. And you can argue with me about it. But I'm going to win because I'm God. You see, that verse right there is not meant to mess up our politics. It is to mess up our personal comfort zone. To where we show hospitality to anyone who's different from ourselves whether that is homeless, whether that is economic, whether that is ethnic, whether they are from Oklahoma. (laughs) Anything north of the Red River, that's a foreign country out there, you know? But that's what God's saying here. And to be honest with you, I am proud of our church for how we show hospitality to anyone who comes into this church but especially those who, it's just different for them. Show these pictures up here. Most of you don't know these things, but I want to share them with you. The Nabari family, a few years ago, we brought in through our, out, or our adoptive family. They're a Muslim family from Iran, and they were homeless, and we got them to a place of success. Now they're on their own, and in the process, we got to lead a couple of them to Christ. Go God. That's you, LifePoint Church. That's you. There's Kanisha. She's just graduated from our, our program there, the, uh, uh, from Outrun or Adoptive Family. But then there's the Nadar's family, Nitty and JC, been members of our church for about a year. And they're from India, Christians. And they and we have opened up our facilities on Sundays at 3 o'clock, and they're inviting in Indian families. You know the demographics are changing like crazy around here, right? And they're teaching English to their kids and adults. And our Indian neighbors are coming to know the Lord here. That's a go-God situation, okay? That is Life Point Church. And I am so proud of what we are doing. Let's continue to be that for others who may be different from ourselves economically, socially, ethnically, whether they're from another state or whatever. Let's invite them into our world. And if you know someone who's not at peace, get them to Jesus as fast as you can. Let me close with this statement. It's on your outlines. No matter what conflict is inside of you, or fear is terrorizing you, 
you can come to Christ for comfort. LifePoint Church, we got the greatest opportunity in the world Christmas Eve. Invite everyone because all lives matter, but especially those who don't have peace. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this day. You are a great and awesome God who chose to enter into our world to humbly lay aside your deity, to experience the discomfort of what it is like to be human. And you did that willingly, you did that joyfully, and you did that completely, God. And Lord, would you help us who have experienced the love of Christ to share that love with everyone because every life matters. Regardless of what kind of background they come from, God, every life matters. May we be your agents. May we do what we can individually. Whether that's put five bucks in a boot, whether that is just hug someone, whether that is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and how he is the Prince of Peace, whether that's inviting them to church, whether that's opening up our home and being hospitable. God, help us to understand that you came into the world to meet people's needs. And may you continue to do that through us. And so, God, we give you this. As we look ahead a couple of weeks from now, it's going to be your day that we celebrate your entry. May we do it for your glory, and may we do it for other people's good. And so we give you this. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.